Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Bryant Monte. And I'm Nicole Franklin. And as we celebrate Women's History Month, we wanted to share with you a very special story. Now, this one is near and dear to my heart. And that's because it's about family, community, and that pioneering spirit. I love these family stories. And you have a lot of history in your family, Bryant. Oh, yes. And we're talking about Helen K. Mason, who is my maternal grandmother. A lot of people may know her, whoever is familiar with Phoenix, Arizona. She was the founder. Mm -hmm. She started the Black Theater Troupe, which is still going strong today, 50, 51 years, going strong, serving the community and the arts. They've done a lot of production, a lot of different plays, and that's kind of how I grew up for a period of time until my mother and I moved to New Orleans when I was in high school, freshman in high school. I would often spend a lot of time with my grandmother. She was um, just Mm -hmm. an amazing person in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) But are we saying, Bryant, that she started the first black theater troupe? In Phoenix? Yeah, actually in the state, and I believe it also encompasses California. Wow. So in in that whole region of the western part of the United States, the Black Theater Troupe is probably the oldest, the oldest established and still going theater right now. (laughs) Awesome. And this all came by accident, as she puts it. She said this was just an accident, something that she wasn't planning on doing. She's close to retirement from her job with the city. She's working for the Parks and Recreation Department for the city of Phoenix. And some young people approached her and said, you know, we don't do the arts that you do with the other kids and we don't really do sports. So she Mm -hmm. said, well, what do you all do? What is it that you want to do? And they said, well, we do plays and we like to act. We like to dance and sing and do poetry. So she invited these kids to her house and it was around New Year's just before New Year's, which is near her birthday time. And Mm-hmm. And met with them, she said. And they came up with some ideas. And she said, well, why don't we start a drama club? And so from that point, they started doing uh, theater in the park. And, you know, talent shows nice. in East Lake Park, which is famous for uh, a lot of African-Americans. Black folks would go to East Lake Park <laughs> to hang out, to play sports. <laughs> and also this talent show became cool. very popular, from my understanding. And then they also did performances in the the Osborne housing projects in Phoenix, Arizona. That was part of where they would read poetry wow. and they would um, do different skits and plays. And so you can imagine <laughs> going into a housing project and say, you know what, we're going to bring some theater to you and some poetry. And it just became a hit. Nice. It was 2002 is when I told my grandmother, cause I thought I really wanted her to be recognized for all the work that she had done. She was living in San Diego at the time. And I had this idea. We wanted to do a recognition service. And I had this idea. And I called her and I said, Nana is what I would call her, Nana. Mm. (laughs) I said, can I come pick you up? I was living in Memphis, Memphis at the time. (laughs) I said, I'm going to fly to California. I'm going to rent a car or we use your car, however you want to do it. And we'll go to Phoenix. She says, well, you know, I'm not flying. I said, well, okay, well, I'll drive. She said, you know, I'm too old for this. She's like in her mid to late 80s at this time. Oh. And I said, please, I'll get pillows. We'll be comfortable. And, you know, I, I drive good. You know, <laughs> I'm a good driver. <laughs> I'm not going to have you. <laughs> allowing her to say no. <laughs> right. And so I just uh, recorded our conversation. And so part of what you hear today is that conversation that we had 
her and I had driving from San Diego to Phoenix. And we did have a great time together. Stayed there for about three or four days in Phoenix. Recognized her after one of the uh, performances of the play at that time and uh, presented her a plaque and some flowers and gave people a little bit more history because, you know, just like this show, we go back in time and we tell people about the history that so many of us have no idea even happened. Well, if I start by accident, I had no idea. Uh, some kids came to me, but you know, I was working on uh, projects. Yeah. Miss Mason, you do everything for everybody but us. I said, who is us? So we that teenage bunch that nobody taps on. We don't play baseball, softball, basketball. And, yeah. We don't do arts and crafts. And I said, well, what do you do? We like to write and do poetry and do some acting or something like that. Yeah. I said, well, it was doing just before Christmas. I said, i tell you what, my birthday is the 28th of December. Come meet me at my house and have a little meeting because I'll be off that night. And they came. And we started I said, you know, you guys are so good and so interesting. Why don't we just start a little drama club? Yeah. And that's what we did start. Then we start doing poetry and stuff right there in the park and the projects on the basketball court outside. What projects were? Osborne, Sydney, Osborne. Yeah. We're there around 18th Street. Well, we started doing that and then when next thing we we got a room there in the housing projects where we could meet every twice a week and there was an old piano up there and they started singing just enjoying ourselves in a club fashion yeah and uh, doing the hospital calls and as we'd come and do something for some of the people who were staying at the hospital you know patients Maybe a little club of callers that would come and do some poetry. <clears throat> Next thing I knew, uh, the National Endowment for the Arts called me up. Mm-hmm. And then Van Whitfield, he said he was coming to town and wanted to see me. <laughs> when he had told me he wanted to fund me out with, uh, you know, I don't remember how much money we started out with. I think it was 5000 but I didn't do it by myself. People came to me yeah. to help. That's what makes the name. When you get an idea and get to working on it, people come to you, sincere people. First started out, they laughed at me. I said, I get to see you now, bunch of They weren't taking in terms of the concept. I used theater as a tool to develop black youth. Yeah. Into behavior patterns, positive behavior patterns, yeah. articulation, pride, and it, it came out of there. And we're back talking about Helen K. Mason, Bryant's grandmother and the founder of the Black Theater Troupe. Well, we did get a chance to talk to an interesting character who is a large part of keeping the theater, the Black Theater Troupe going, right? Oh, yes. David Hemphill joins us and um, he's quite fun, but... 
carries a lot of knowledge about how this theater troupe carried the community, you know, through a lot of history in Phoenix. Did your your grandma or your mom ever fully explain to you how the theater started and why? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that public history, but right. it's a little a little more um, deeper than that. And I, I I've been one to promote that history. Well, to, go to ahead, share with me. That, that narrative, the I'm narrative sorry. was a um, official in the city of Phoenix Parks and Recreation Department. Yeah. Her job was to find programs for all of the parks and recreation mm-hmm. outlets that the city of Phoenix had. So from what I learned, the Black Theater Troupe started as one of those programs and it was started to head off the racial unrest Mm. that had started in the the late 60s and had started to move towards Phoenix. Um, This is how Miss Helen headed it off. Did you know that? Uh, Yes, some of that. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> but she said she started on accident, you know, which is funny. Well, yeah, it, it, she she. Oh, they were uh, sessions that if uh, if you were if you were in the community and you had a beef about um, social inequality and etc. like that, mm-hmm. you could go to the Sydney P. Osborne Housing Pro- to little groups that Miss Helen would run. You could you know bitch and moan about what was going on, and from the from those groups. And those core of individuals, Rod Ambrose and et cetera, from that mm-hmm. core of individuals, that became the base of the theater, the troupe in Black theater. Yeah. So that was the way of protesting in some ways. That was her way of alleviating, of, of protesting, right, yeah. That was a way of protesting and alleviating um, any racial unrest that was coming our way, because, you know, it's slow out here. <laughs> oh, yeah. This sounds like an incredible journey, Mr. Hemphill. Do we know how many people started the troupe? How many joined Miss Helen in this uh, journey? From my understanding, I think it was uh, mainly, that's where she got the word troop from because mm. it was a, a core of individuals. It was uh, Debbie, um, C- Carol. I, I'm thinking about maybe seven, seven or eight people. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe seven or eight people that form the core. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true pioneers. So what was it, I mean, because you started the theater when? What years did you start? I came in um, 80, uh, 82, 82, something like that. But were you a, an audience member before? And, and how did you first hear about I was group? working... Um, I was working in Tucson with IBM and they used to give you time off to do community things and et cetera, and et cetera. So there wasn't much to do in um, Tucson except Barbea <laughs> Williams, the Ododo, the truth. Oh, I know her. Yeah. Barbea. Oh my gosh. These incredible women incredible. Oh, holding up Arizona. I love it. Yep. So she, that was about all that was in uh, Tucson. So I used to go down to Phoenix Mm-hmm. And um, for for the theater and for <laughs> for other things, and um, <laughs> and that's how um, that's how I started. With them. When you uh, first came to the theater, what did you see? What did you notice? What did you like about it? Well, the the first thing that I noticed about it, which is the foundation of the theater, the first thing I I I, I knew about it is how Miss Helen was like the mother of everybody. Miss mm-hmm. Helen was your counselor. 
Yeah. Miss Helen <laughs> uh, used to um, help me when I would um, get into angry fights that mm -hmm. would result in <laughs> police connection. Um, oh. Helen, <laughs> and she was that's what got me. It was it was like a family. Um, it was yeah. that familial aspect um, that Miss Helen laid out. It extended throughout the organization. All of the members um, felt like they were connected to each other and family. If a member was going through some difficult times, um, the other members would help them through, be it a place to stay or be it a place to borrow money or mm -hmm. be it a place to uh, just have some company and et cetera like that. That was that was how Miss Helen um, laid the place out. And that's how, that's what attracted me in the beginning. Was that a hard legacy to continue? <laughs> you know, cause that's a lot, that's a lot of give, 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 plus theater, plus, you know, selecting the plays, plus I guess directing the plays and keeping up with community. Now we've jumped to the, uh, we've jumped to, to the here <laughs> and now, but between then and now, mm -hmm. um, there was a, um, there was plenty of, of mentorship by Miss Helen. Yeah. There was developing a further understanding of what she wanted to do. One of her most important things was not how could you do this or um, what could you, what plays could you do? How could you raise money? Dot, dot, dot. Mm. That wasn't her thing. Ms. Helen's big thing was why. Okay. Why do we do this? Why yeah. do you? So that was her big thing. So between then, those 80s and 92 or so, mm. uh, 93 or so, when I took over, there was there was plenty of time to um, um, develop the thick skin that this organization needed. And um, because it's a lot of work, Brian will tell you, if he didn't have family time with this, with them at the theater, I don't know how much family time he had <laughs> because it, it was a very, it's a very consuming, um, it's a very consuming job. And in terms of the operation, of the um, yeah. organization and etc. In the beginning, it was it was like a family enterprise. Miss Helen had to depend on Brian's mom. She had mm -hmm. to depend on her daughter Debbie, and they were the ones that held the theater uh, together in terms of uh, tax obligations, in terms of fundraising, all of those things. It, it was a family, and it's very consuming, uh, yeah. very very consuming. To this day, it is still very consuming <laughs> but you had a decade with miss helen it sounds like which is so special more than a decade with her can you talk about your one-on-one -on -one time with her well um it depends on where this is going to be broadcast oh because most of the time she was fussing at me um oh. because i was you know i i had come from new york i was uh um very arrogant and um, a renegade to a degree and et cetera. So a lot of our one-on-one -on -one time was Miss Helen saying, now child, you got to stop that. Okay. You can't do that. You're not, you're, gonna, you're, you're not gonna have a good life if you do that. Now stop that. You know, I don't like that kind of stuff. You know, she, that's, she was very, very firm mm -hmm. and very, very stern. That was our one-on-one -on -one time um, was <laughs> like that. Our one-on-one -on -one time was her explaining to authorities, well, he really isn't a bad kid. He just got a bad guy. He just got mad when the, when the um, sales clerk 
skipped him in line and talked to somebody else, Your Honor. This, oh. <laughs> 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 right. That was um, that was how how Helen and I's one on one time was, and that's why I was so well prepared um, to do this job because mm. I I knew everything. Most importantly, she had um, developed me as a person. Oh. Um, Mm-hmm. And that was one of her strengths. Mm-hmm. So she Beautiful. saw a lot in you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She saw a lot in me and she saw a lot in the entire community. And she saw a lot in all of her actors. She saw a lot in all of her children, um, all of her family members. She That was one thing uh, that she was very adept at. She could get past the layers of whatever um, in people's lives and see that they have a good foundation down there. It's just covered over with a lot of crap. All we got to <laughs> do is excavate and get to that foundation. Um, yeah. So that's how it worked with her and I. What she started was something that was never in existence before. It was something right. that was never done in Phoenix or right. from what right. I understand, even in California before this time. That's right. Wow. It was the first organization in the Southwest to become what was known as the Black Arts Civil Rights Movement, which okay. started in New York City by, well, his name, well, it was Leroy Jones then, but his Amiru name now Baraka. is Ameru Baraka. And he started it at a Harlem theater um, in New York. Mm-hmm. And as the idea of using civil rights and the arts as a companion tool to enhance each other, as that idea spread around, Miss um, Helen took up the mantle in the Southwest, the only organization in the Southwest to be an original member of the Black Arts Civil Rights Movement in 1974. Because all Miss Helen, one good thing that she knew, she knew that um, for an organization to grow and for the Black theater troupe to become what it could be and serve mm-hmm. who it should serve, she knew that she had to look outside of Arizona because Arizona is, uh, how are you going to do Black theater right. in a state where there's no Black people? Right. So, <laughs> so you had to look out of Arizona. And that was that was another strength of Miss Helen's. All the, all the wonderful directors from around the country um, wow. Ms. Helen could get them here okay. um, to devote a few months to mm-hmm. forming, helping the troupe, Linda Gravat, who's on Broadway, and uh. a lot of the stars, you know, then um, that grew, started their work by helping Miss Helen. And she knew that it was going to take outside influence to mm-hmm. build the organization. That's why the organization is so successful. She didn't yeah. depend on well, she depended on her contacts in Arizona for money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's all she wanted from them was money from the corporations and all of the contacts that she knew that had money. Um, she That's what she wanted from them. But in terms of the artistic and uh, social aspect and development mm-hmm. of the company, she knew that that was going to have to come from without without um, from from outside of the state. Just a note, Amiri Baraka, proud uh, Newark resident as well, yes. Newark, New Jersey, is yes. the father of uh, Dominique de Prima, hmm. morning show host here at KBLA Talk 1580. Oh. And uh, is well known, I guess, for his play, The Dutchman, right? So the Dutchman, right. <laughs> all of this Dutchman. coming together. Wow. And you list 
And that <laughs> yeah. was his. That was his. Um, that was his idea with yeah, the yeah. with the uh, with that starting that little theater in Harlem was to make a movement out of it, and it was mm-hmm. it was named mm-hmm. the Black mm-hmm. Art Civil Rights Movement. Now, can you list, please, Mr. Hemphill, some of the early works? Because I noticed in um, a recent season that we're usually around some traditional African American plays, and and those are so strong too. But yeah. um, do you remember some of the early works you all did, and and how do you choose which plays are up? Well, that was one thing um, that Helen was very adept at. She she knew she knew about what she liked and etc. But in terms of what a company needed to grow and what a company needed to present to audiences, what a company could market, yeah. Helen depended on others from out of state and et cetera to do those things. So she oh. very rarely would stick her finger in, in the artistic process unless it was oh. a mess. Unless it was some mess that she said, that ain't gonna go here. So, um, but but in terms of um, in in terms of of picking the shows, we she was always about a balance. Um, yeah. The classics, the African American classics, um, yeah. as mm-hmm. well as the new things, not too new. She okay. didn't want, not too new, <laughs> not too risque, because after all, this is a very conservative, uh, conservative city, okay. uh, state. But okay. she always mm-hmm. believed in that balance. Uh, a very simple formula, a couple comedies, a couple dramas, a couple musicals, you know, something for everybody. And that's the premise that we that's the uh, premise that we use today to select uh, uh, works for the season. Do you remember when she performed? Was it still Magnolia? Still Magnolias. Oh, <laughs> and, you remember oh, that? Yes, and she was the character um, Wheezy Weezer. Uh-huh. That was her character, and uh-huh. she was, and it was fun for her. And she she hadn't done it. She wasn't um, had no aspirations of doing <laughs> it like. Um, in the beginning, every year I would put myself in something. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but no, I'm only exaggerating. I I didn't do that. But um, a lot of companies do that. But Miss Helen yeah. had no inkling of wanting to do that. They had to literally um, coax her to come on stage, and it was a you know kind of a small role. But she was wonderful. Oh. And still Magnolia. She was Weezer. Oh yeah. Beautiful, <laughs> Bryant. Were you in that one? No, I was the raisin in the sun. That was he was raisin in the sun. Really? I was Travis. I was a little little kid. Little oh, how cool! Yeah. Oh, I and, want pictures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have some laying around somewhere. I think I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. That was the show that he he first uh, came in. And the young lady that directed it. Uh, it was Linda Gravatt, wasn't it, Brian? Or Andrea Fry, remember her? Oh yeah, Andrea Fry. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Andrea Fry. She's now with Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Oh good. Um, mm-hmm. And she's very well. You know, if you Google her name, you'll see her all around the country of doing what Miss Helen gave her the first opportunity to do. Wow. Uh, become a very powerful um, female director. That was one thing about Miss Helen. She was very, very uh, supportive of of, of women, yeah. of, um, of ideas and work of women. In the beginning administration of the theater, her board, her first board were um, four women mm-hmm. um, that all got together and um and said this is gonna this is what we're gonna do and yeah so she's always she was always a strong um promoter 
of the power of women, so. Beautiful. And we're back and we're talking about the woman who helped shape my life in so many ways. Now, I spent so much time with her when I was young and growing up. I was like her shadow. Now, she would always call me her favorite grandson. Now, the funny thing is, I'm her only grandson. <laughs> uh, Helen K. Mason, my grandmother, she is a pioneer in Phoenix, Arizona. She founded and started the Black Theater Troupe in Phoenix, Arizona. My mother was, she loved to read a lot. She used to read to us every Saturday night. And she would read with expression like she on stage or something. She was good. She used to sing real well. The Black Theater Troupe seemed to come together organically, but there may have been some challenges, I understand, with the building itself and facilities throughout the years. Throughout the years. That, <laughs> again, it all goes back to Miss Helen. That was okay. her strength. Miss Helen, she could talk, she could talk the wool off a sheep. Um, <laughs> she could make um everybody, she could make anybody feel the passion that she felt. So yeah. the first, the first thing that happened was that there was no spaces for the company to perform. So mm -hmm. Helen got the city to break all of their rules mm -hmm. and allow the um, the community rooms in the housing projects to become her place, her, um, you know, for her company. Yeah. Then the next place, uh, then they went in the basement of the old city hall, um, oh. which was again, unprecedented, a community group using a, a public building like that. And then the next place was an old Mormon church mm -hmm. on 10th Street, 
in Moreland. Moreland, yep, I remember yep. that place. And when the Papago Freeway uh, came through town, um, when they were building the Papago Freeway, Helen held the city, um, held the city in ropes and told the city, "Well, if you want us to leave our building now," and, and she didn't own that building. Right. She mm -hmm. was a she was a she rented the building, but it was an old Mormon church and she mm -hmm. had a strong relationship with the elders of the Mormon church and they would do whatever Miss Helen said. Okay. So Miss Helen told the city, if you want to come through there with your freeway and etc., you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to take care of us. That was that was 19 in 1983, Helen um mounted a campaign to mm -hmm. get the theater company their first mortgage-free building. They, oh. they started started the fundraising in uh, late 1981, and by 1983, they had paid the uh, paid the building off. Then that's where the controversy wow. started later on because oh. it was an old, it was one of the first synagogues mm -hmm. um, in downtown okay. Phoenix, okay. the um, Beth Israel Synagogue. So that was one of the um, the, the first things that um, started the controversy. But Miss Helen, in her wisdom. Mm -hmm. When we took over that building, Miss mm -hmm. Helen did not destroy or alter any of the original works of that building. Instead okay. of instead of removing those beautiful stained glass windows, Miss Helen just covered them over with boards oh. um, out in the front. The big um, the Star of David. Instead mm -hmm. of that being removed and etc., Miss Helen just covered that up. The altar in the synagogue, Helen just built the stage over the altar. So when it came time for that building to be designated as historical as it was and et cetera. It was because of Miss Helen's foresight mm -hmm. that um, mm -hmm. it was able to be in the position it is now. It is a piece of art in the middle of, of big surrounding skyscrapers and the building is still there. We were, we sold it. Okay. Mm -hmm. We sold it because it the um, start, started the big recession um, we were in pretty dire financial straits, so we sold it. But another um, a Jewish company came along and bought the building and would not sell. So they just built everything around it, and it's still there to this day, um, um, as a as as the historic site that it is. It still sits there today. It was Steve. It's where Steven Spielberg was had his bar mitzvah. Oh, um, wow. Down, down <laughs> at, um, at 333 uh, East Portland. Portland. Okay. So, so it is still there today. So now the ironic thing is that during the formative years of the theater, mm -hmm. uh, they went all around to different places and, and et cetera like that until they got their home. But one of the places that we would always return to to do a concert or do a talk and et cetera was East Lake Park. Okay. Um, so we would go to East Lake Park, had a, a amphitheater and a band shell, and we would go there and, you know, do uh, scenes and do gospel concerts and et cetera like that. It's a very historic park. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a very, very historic park. It was one of the first places in the state of Arizona where races could mix. And that was only because it was a trolley transfer station back in the day. And all of the uh, white people going 
uh, to their jobs and all of the black people going to their domestic jobs and et cetera, mm -hmm. they all had to take this trolley. So that, that was a transfer point. So they couldn't stop the races from mixing. They couldn't enforce the law of segregation right. in that one area. So that one park became the uh, point where Martin Luther King spoke, um, where all of the uh, civil rights activism and et cetera started in that park. And the ironic thing today is we are now two blocks from that park in our own building. It's, it came full circle from starting at that park in the late 70s to moving into this building um, in 2000, 2012. It's come full circle. So, Yeah, I just think it's uh, important that people understand the history because a lot of times people don't know there is Black history in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> with it being 4% Black, I guess it's still 4% Black. And you get a lot of uh, people from other states, other cities, and they have no idea of some of these stories and, yeah. you know, what came before all the beautiful buildings and all the freeways and everything else, yeah. sports teams and everything else that makes Phoenix kind of what it is today. But looking at the yeah. um, history, unfortunately, a lot of times they tore down the buildings that represent all that history. They do. Uh, which is a shame. But um, yeah. I guess the next way we can express it or share it is through story, uh, through going back and, and testifying of what it was like back then, especially in the beginning stages of the theater and, right. and you all are sustaining it. And I'm, I'm thankful that you all have that support because, yes, um, we're, we're you know, without that, it's hard to survive. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's a testimony to what, how it was in the beginning to get the support of not just the city, but the community. And what are some of the audience responses and testimonials and reviews that you all have had, specifically some that have stood out to you? I think the thing that stands out most, um, our audiences have always been loyal. Um, uh, you know, a lot of them uh, were kids, were, were um, a lot of them were Brian's peers when he was in Raisin in the Sun. A lot of them were young kids <laughs> And now they're older people, and they are our audience, uh, our, um, um, our audience base. Mm -hmm. But they are what's important in terms of what of what we do. They tell us they enjoy this. They let us know um, their their feelings about uh, certain aspects. That's one. That's another thing, Miss Helen instilled in our audiences: speak up, speak up. All black people should learn to speak up and that includes our audience members. Speak up, if you don't like something, tell me. I may tell you that I like it and to shut up, but <laughs> if you don't like something, right. speak up. And that's what our audiences have always done. They've always let us know when they enjoy and when they, uh, when they don't enjoy. And one of the most important things that they do is they let us know through their pocketbooks. They ah. um, let us know that we are important and that we have to continue. I only give, we have a, a large base of what they call sustaining donors, yeah. um, where their donation comes off of their credit card every month. Some of the donations are less than the fee that we have to pay to process the credit card, but it's the idea. Um, and there's, we have a wide base of sustained donors, $10, $5, $20 a month, um, and et cetera like that. So that is how they let you know that they enjoy um, what you're doing. <laughs> We've gotten national awards because of the things, uh, the thing, we, we got an award um, um, 
from Congress uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning in, in recognition right. of our 50th season, a oh. plaque and the congressmen standing around us and oh. Brian's old friend Clovis Campbell uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with his newspaper. Right, uh, right there probably. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was, <laughs> it was on the front page of his paper, right. and um, and so yeah. But that's what's. It's important. It's important for people to remember that Clovis's father, Clovis Senior, Miss Helen, Lincoln Ragsdale, mm-hmm. and a couple other influential African Americans demanded that Valley National Bank, the Greyhound Corporation, and all the big corporations that were based here, they demanded that they hire some black people. They they would march around outside of uh, the corporate headquarters of Greyhound. And uh, do do anybody know what Greyhound is anymore? I wonder. They're still hanging in there. I still see buses. I've been on a Greyhound many times. (laughs) Yeah, back in the day when it was There you go. (laughs) But but Helen in that core uh, started that movement that um, was instrumental in in African-Americans getting jobs in some of those big corporations downtown. When when Senator McCain passed away, uh, when Senator McCain passed away, he w- he had been instrumental in helping helping Helen get her first recognition and her first funding from the National Endowment um, the National Endowment's Expansion Arts Program Van Tile wow. Whitfield. Wow. He was in McCain was instrumental um, in that. So everybody they have to remember his, his pictures of John McCain and. And Helen and Jackie Berry and Clovis, it's it's that history that's very important. It has to be remembered. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think about is how do you keep a legacy like hers alive and and still going well, and how do you educate the young people to understand what this meant back in the day and what it means now? I give classes. Okay. I mm-hmm. I give um, everyone that ever works here or um, ever has a stake in the development of the company and passion and et cetera, they have to know these histories. They have to know these stories. They have to look at the documentary that you produced on your grandmother. They have to know Mm -hmm. that your family was one of the first black families in the state of Arizona. All of these things, the the people have to know these things. So I I literally, literally give classes. I uh, sit, right. I sit the kids down and I tell them this right. is how it is, this is how it was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's how you keep uh, the legacy going. Of course, the most visible way to keep the legacy going is to always have this building with her name out there right. stay yeah. open. That's the biggest and best way to keep her legacy going. And people know what they're um, doing and they understand Miss Helen's most important thing, the why Yeah, there mm-hmm. is black theater, the why we do it, not how, not when, not what, why. And mm-hmm. so as long as they understand that, the theater will continue to thrive when I'm gone. And just to be clear, what is that why? The why is everything that, um, that, that, that feeds the soul. Yeah. Everything mm-hmm. that that makes us that makes us who we are today, man's hum, our our humanity, our humanity is the why 
that we do this. We don't do this for the money and the, you know, the beautiful building and edification and all that. We do it because humanity has to go on. That is the reason for the, that's the why, humanity. Well, are there any sentiments you want to share with Miss Helen's grandson, Bryant, <laughs> and what this face has mean to, meant to you? I think that uh, the most important thing that you do, Bryant, is you do not you do not let it go. Right. You right. know the importance of your family, and one of the great things about it that makes you appreciate it and makes your name. Mm-hmm still very, very powerful in the Valley is it was never, you never talk about your family or or highlight your family from a point of um, self-centered selfishness. Right. No, right. You've, never, you've never been, look at us, we're the Masons, we're the Masons, we're nationally known. You No, right. you, you've never been right. like that. And, and as long as you continue with that and that humble attitude as such, I think, uh, I think Helen's name is gonna live on forever. Forever. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Bryant, that was so wonderful spending time in your family archive. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for everyone listening and taking the time to hear our story. Wow. Wish we had more time. And unfortunately, we have to go. I know. But before we go, we want to remind everyone that these stories are what make a show like ours possible. That's right, Nicole. So make sure you take the time to reach out and call your elders who carry so much history. Just pick up the phone and make that call. There is no time like the present. What What a a gift. gift.